last week we asked, what is your favorite Christmas carol? And uh, I didn't hear any of the answers. Um, did anybody have a favorite one that you want to just tell us now? Silent Night, I heard over here. Come all ye faithful, or come all ye faithful, yes. Oh, holy night, joy to the world, deck the halls, I like that one. Away in a manger, I think we sung that last week, did we? I can't remember, I have a terrible memory apparently. What was that, Johnny? A little town of Bethlehem. Uh, On the 22nd of December at 10 a.m., we're having a traditional carol service and uh, Barbara and I sat in my office this week and we selected seven of the classics and I think almost every one of those carols was mentioned. Uh, I think they're all going to be on that day. Um, So we'd love you to come to that. What's time to open up the Bible? Uh, A few years ago, I had to take my daughter to the doctor's office for some blood work and uh, we went into the little room and the doctor introduced herself. We shook hands and as I looked at her face, I had this moment of recognition She was one of the the, the girls that I'd taught about 15 years earlier when she was 12 years old. She was in the seventh grade, I think, and I think she had exactly that same moment of recognition. Hello, Mr. Bidwell, she said. Um, She was a a fantastic doctor. She did the blood work up. She was a great communicator. Um, She was a very calming presence for Charlotte, um, very knowledgeable. And uh, all the time I'm looking at this young woman, this doctor, she's probably in her late 20s, But uh, I remember her as this 12-year-old shy kid. And uh, I marveled at how much she had changed, how much she'd grown up and the person that she'd become. I never would have guessed it if I'd thought back to who she was as this shy 12-year-old kid. And as we think about the Christmas story this morning, we're going to look back at the baby in the manger. And we're going to ask, could we have guessed it? Could we have guessed that this would be what he would grow up to be? Could we have imagined it? on that day. And if we were to see Jesus today, how would we react to him knowing how he's grown up and who he is today? That's where we're going. Uh, So why don't we begin by praying. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, help us to see the baby Jesus and help us to see who he became and who he is today. Help us to see clearly for his glory's sake. Amen. Well, as I said, all through December, we are thinking about the Christmas carols. Uh, We're thinking about Christmas through the lens of the songs that we all love to sing. Um, I love to sing the carols anyway, and I hope you do. Because Christmas carols capture deep truths about Jesus uh, and about the Christian faith, and so it's worth reflecting on those words that many of us have known from our childhood. Last week, we started with, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, And we've got another carol every week until Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve, we will reveal my favorite Christmas carol. But you have to wait until then to find out. So make sure you come on Christmas Eve. Um, If you can't come on Christmas Eve, you will get a preview on Wednesday the 22nd at 10 a.m. in our traditional service. Now today's carol, it, it begins with a question. The question is this. It asks us to look into the manger and it asks to ponder, what child is this? Now, it starts like this. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? Um, Now, if you ask this question in Sunday school, the answer is very obvious. What child is this? It's Jesus. Um, There's more to the song than that. 
What uh, the author was getting to, um, William Chatterton Dix was the man who wrote this song. He wrote them uh, in 1865, uh, and he wrote them uh, as a poem named The Manger Throne. And I put that on your notes there. It's called The Manger Throne. Uh, it was only later that the Greensleeves tune was added and it became a popular Christmas carol. But the idea behind the poem came from Dix imagining what it must have been like for the first people who visited Jesus that very first Christmas morning. What must they have thought about this baby? This baby who was the subject of prophecy and he was attended by angels, this glorious heavenly array of angels, and yet he's born in an animal shelter and he's placed in a manger, he's placed in a feed trough. You know, what must they have made of this king in the cattle trough? What went through their minds as they gazed on the manger throne? That's the idea we're exploring today, so let's jump into the first big idea from the song, which is the idea of humility. The song begins by painting a picture of Jesus, uh, sorry, a picture of Mary with little baby Jesus asleep in her lap. And it could be any new mother with a baby, couldn't it? Uh, But of course, it's not the same. Mary is not in a hospital room. Um, She's not even at her own home. She hasn't had a home birth. Mary and Joseph were away from home. They had to travel to Joseph's hometown, to Bethlehem, for the census. And there was no rooms in any, of the, in any of the guest houses. And so they find themselves being pushed out into a stable, into an animal shelter. One of the innkeepers offers them that room, and that's what Mary and Joseph decide to do. In the, in the episode of The Chosen that we're going to watch this afternoon, Mary is made very real. And there's this moment where... Mary and Joseph, she's very pregnant. And he says, there's no rooms. We're going to have to camp. We're going to have to camp out in an animal shelter. Could you imagine that? The mums are just shaking their heads now going, I can't can't imagine that would have been like. He says, we can make it work. And she says, we'll make it work. Um, I don't think this was on any mother's birth plan, right? To give birth in a stable. Dix asks us to ponder in the second stanza. He says, why lies he in such mean a state where ox and ass are feeding? So why was Jesus born in such humble circumstances? This this wasn't, um, it's not just a lack of planning. There is a greater purpose to it. Because the first stanza, it leaves us in no doubt as to who Jesus is. In, In the first stanza, it tells us, this, this is Christ the King. And Jesus' birth, as we said, it was announced by an army of angels in this heavenly host who fill the skies with light and song. And that aspect of Jesus' birth captures this, uh, his heavenly glory and this royal birth, the birth of a king. But even in the angels coming, there is a glimpse of the unexpected. The angels sing to shepherds. Shepherds were counted as some of the most lowly people in their society. And surely we would expect this royal announcement to be made to dignitaries, up to religious leaders, to the priests, to the teachers of the law, to those who are awaiting the coming of the Christ. But instead, God chooses the lowly. He chooses shepherds to bear witnesses to Jesus' birth. And then there's Mary and Joseph. They're not impressive people. I don't know if we can say that. But they're not. Joseph, he was a humble carpenter. Mary was not even Joseph's wife when, she first, when the angel told her that she would give birth to the Son of God. Um, in the episode of The Chosen, there's a suggestion that maybe the reason there was no rooms in the inn 
is because she was an unmarried pregnant teenager. It was not acceptable in the society in that day. And no doubt Mary was humiliated a bunch of times during her pregnancy with Jesus as an unmarried woman. Again, God chooses the lowly, not the exalted, as the family of Jesus. And all of those humble circumstances, they all reflect the humility that Jesus brings to his role as the king of the world. See, that humility of Jesus is spelled out in Philippians 2, verse 5 to 7. It's the passage that's on your handout. And uh, I've tried to capture some of the parallels between the song and Philippians 2. I I think they're remarkable. Look at what the passage says about Jesus. It says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. See, the passage describes the birth of Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, as God becoming human flesh. Sorry, Rocco, it's it's just out the back door. (laughs) So the Bible talks about God being three persons. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and then there's God the Holy Spirit. And, And all three of them, they share the same nature. And we see that nature there in Philippians 2, verse 6. Jesus had the very same nature as God, and he could have remained enthroned in heaven. He could have held on to his equality with God, but this is where we see Jesus' humility. He was willing to take on our nature. He was willing to take on our flesh. He was willing to become a servant of humankind. And he made himself nothing, the passage says. Literally translated, he emptied himself. And so this manger scene, it teaches us about the character of Jesus. He's he's not interested in worldly status. He's not interested in wealth and trinkets. What's on the inside is far more important than what's on the outside. That's why it doesn't matter to Jesus if you're a shepherd or a shipping magnate. Um, I wanted to say um, a sheep exporter in Australia. Uh, People export sheep to the Middle East. It's It's a grand but I didn't think anybody would know what I was talking about. So I said shipping magnate, assonance. So it doesn't matter if you're a shepherd or a shipping magnate or a sheep exporter. It doesn't matter if you're a school teacher or a senator, a stay-at-home mom or a CEO. What matters to Jesus is what's on the inside. And what's on the inside is why Jesus loves you. Did you know that? See, the Christmas story reminds us. It reminds us that we are loved by God. We are loved so much that Jesus would leave his heavenly dwelling and come down to earth. He would clothe himself in humility. He would clothe himself in humanity. And he would experience all of the highs and lows that we know as humans. Jesus knows what your life is like because he's lived the same life. He knows what it is to be human. God understands you from the inside. And he loves you. And Jesus came to win us back to the Father. And that's why the Christmas story, it's not just about a baby in a manger. It's not just about a birth. The Christmas story draws us forward to the end of Jesus' life, to the day where his life finished. Because that's where we find the real reason for Jesus' birth, the real reason why God's son stepped into the world in human flesh. So the second stanza of the poem, it continues like this. Good Christian fear, for sinners hear the silent word is pleading. Nails, spear, shall pierce his, him through. 
the cross be born for me, for you. Uh, William Chatterton Dix, the author of this poem, he wanted us to understand the link between Bethlehem and Golgotha, between Jesus' birth and his death. See, the humility of Jesus' birth would be followed by even greater humiliation. Unjustly condemned, Jesus was executed as a criminal. On a Roman cross, he was pierced by nails and a spear. But this wasn't a pointless death. The cross was born for me and for you, the carol reminds us. See, Jesus' death was all about dealing with our sin. It was all about dealing with our wrongdoing and our our mistakes. And rather than execute judgment upon us, God chooses to execute his judgment upon Jesus instead. Jesus receives our execution. He stands in our place so that we don't have to stand and face the judgment of God on the day that we die. I love the line in the song, good Christian fear for sinners hear the silent word is pleading. And that probably requires some punctuation that's missing in my printed version here. Um, And for those of us who love to do grammar, um, we could argue about where they should go. But when we read the sentence the other way around, it says this, the silent word is pleading for sinners. The silent word is pleading for sinners. In the book of John, Jesus is called the word. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 14 of John 1, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory glory of the one and only, the Son, who came from the Father and is full of grace and truth. So this glorious word, the one who was with God from the beginning, he becomes flesh. Jesus comes to plead the case for sinners like you and me. He's here as our advocate. He's here as our defender. He's here as our savior. And so Dix looks at this little baby in the manger and he sees the silent word, Couldn't even speak a word at the time, could Jesus? But he's come to save sinners. A baby whose life led towards the cross, the means of our salvation. Uh, Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2 verse 8. It's there on your handout. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And when we look at the manger scene, at the baby Jesus in the manger... What child is this reminds us of the man that Jesus would become. It reminds us that sometimes humility leads to extraordinary greatness. Um, Dr. James Allen Francis described Jesus' greatness like this in a little essay called One Solitary Life. He said, He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He worked in a carpentry shop until he was 30, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. When the tide of popular opinion turned against him, his friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies. He was tried and convicted. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of all of the things that usually accompanies greatness. And yet of all of the armies that ever marched and all the governments that ever sat and all the kings that have ever reigned, they've not affected life upon the earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. 
Uh, we had our kids cookie decorating event yesterday afternoon uh, out here in the theater. It was so much fun. Um, Charlotte and Jamie and Brian entertained a group of little uh, girls and boys for the afternoon. Um, there was cookie decorating. Um, I'm not sure if it was cookie decorating as much as it was cookie dousing um, in uh, icing, but that was fun. But I think the, the best part, what I enjoyed the most, was the Christmas story that Charlotte told. Uh, every child got to participate in the Christmas story uh, because Charlotte broke the story into segments and there was a different game for each part of the story. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there watching three and four and five-year-olds and six and seven and eight-year-olds learning the story about Jesus. Um, they learned about the angels coming and about the shepherds and about the star and the wise men. We have this nativity scene right there in the theater. It's, it's in the kids' room. Um, and uh, it was clear, though, who the star of the show was. It wasn't Charlotte. It was Jesus. What I love the most about the Christmas story is that everybody is invited to look into the manger scene and to meet the baby Jesus. The shepherds, they were invited. The wise men, they were invited. And every human since that day has been invited to come and meet Jesus. Because one day we will all meet Jesus, not as a baby, but as the risen Lord. I read the next part of Philippians 2 with me. Because it reminds, me, it reminds us that Jesus doesn't stay a baby. Look at verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See Jesus steps out of heaven. He takes on our humanity. He humbles himself humbles himself even to death on a cross. And his destiny, though, is to be restored to the place that he had at his father's side, when, just like when he was the word at the beginning. And more than that, God has elevated Jesus to be Lord over all, to have a name that is above every name, and one day to see every knee bow before him and every tongue acknowledge him as the Lord. See, Jesus wasn't just any baby. He was our king. He is our king. He's our Lord. He's a king and he's the Lord of every human being, whether they know it or not. That's why we share Jesus here at Yonville Community Church. We want everyone to know Jesus and the hope that he brings to our life for this lifetime and for all of eternity. That hope comes through knowing Jesus and meeting him. So I want to finish with one of the ideas from the song. And it's about how do we know Jesus and how do we, how do we praise him in our lives? Listen to the third stanza with me. It's this idea of enthroning Jesus. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. How do we let loving hearts enthrone him? How do you enthrone Jesus in your life? Well, the song has a few suggestions. At first, we follow the lead of the wise men. We bring him incense and gold and myrrh. Now, if we're going to do that literally, I'm going to need to change my offering boxes at the back. They might need some bigger slots. Um, they may need to be waterproof because I think myrrh was like perfume or oil or something like that. Incense, that might set off the smoke alarms and we'll all get a shower inside. Don't bring incense. Uh, what does it mean to bring gifts to Jesus? Well, when we enthrone Jesus in our hearts, we offer our best to him. When you read the Old Testament, every time a king visits another king, they always bring gifts. They bring riches. They bring gold. They bring treasures. 
And we do the same when we visit somebody's house for dinner, don't we? We always bring a gift, honoring the person who's invited us over. We bring them as gifts and a way of thanking people for their hospitality. And so as those who enthrone Jesus in our hearts, we also ought to offer Jesus our best, whatever our best is. Um, That doesn't only mean money. It might mean humbling ourselves, humbly offering ourselves as servants of the King, just as Jesus served us. It, It might mean offering Jesus our time, our talents, our treasures, as we help Jesus build his kingdom on earth. It's all about giving back to Jesus. And the other thing it means is living a life that brings praise to Jesus, um, that honors him and uplifts him. And in the song, it repeats it in every stanza, um, haste, haste to bring him loud or to bring him praise. Uh, hail, hail the word made flesh and raise, raise the song on high. This Christmas, Jesus is, uh, Jesus is inviting you to the manger scene. God is inviting you to the manger scene. He's inviting you again to look at the baby in the manger which was a throne, and to ask yourself, what child is this? Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, the baby who was born to become a king. We pray that you would help us to enthrone him in our hearts as Lord. Help us to trust in him always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.